Nova Ukraine, and UNICEF USA. Hello from the employees of the Commonwealth Club. As the world watches in horror the atrocities in Ukraine, the Commonwealth Club is highlighting important organizations providing humanitarian aid to the victims of this war. Nova Ukraine and UNICEF USA are partnering to support children and families devastated by the war in Ukraine. Together, they will be providing life-saving assistance where it matters most by providing emergency access to water, delivering health, hygiene, and education supplies, establishing blue dot centers to concentrate delivery of emergency services, and more. We encourage you to learn more about how to support this important work by visiting give.novaukraine.org UNICEF. Your donations are 100% secure and tax-deductible, and your contribution will help support relief on the ground in Ukraine. That's give.novaukraine.org UNICEF. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host for this program. Thank you for joining us today for this event. We're going to be featuring filmmaker Deborah Souza Silva and Wanda—excuse me, Reverend Wanda Johnson—discussing the new documentary *Black Mothers: Love and Resist* and the issues covered in it. First, a quick note: the Commonwealth Club is producing hundreds of programs a year. <clears throat> excuse me, even during the pandemic, we're doing programs that are online, like this one today as well as in-person events. So head over to commonwealthclub.org MMS for more upcoming programs, as well as video and audio of past events. If you're watching us live on YouTube, go ahead and put in some questions for our speakers during uh, this program. We'll bring up some of them during our discussion. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the, co- the producer and the host of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to all of you for joining us this afternoon for a special conversation about the film Black Mothers Love and Resist. The world premiere, by the way, is happening this Friday, April 29th, during the San Francisco Film Festival. Let me introduce to you our speakers this afternoon. We have the director of the film, Deborah Souza Silva, who is a Black Afro-Brazilian journalist and filmmaker. Her work examines systemic racism and inequality. We also have Reverend Wanda Johnson, a mother, activist, and speaker with a long history of community organizing and speaking to equity. When her son, Oscar Grant III, was killed by an Oakland BART transit officer on January 1st, 2009, she has made her journey, uh, she has embarked on a journey to turn that pain into purpose. Wanda is also CEO of the Oscar Grant Foundation and is a licensed and ordained minister. Before we begin our discussion, let's play the trailer for Black Mothers Love and Resist. It's scary to be a mother of a black son. A young man severely beaten and his mom says it was Troy police that are responsible. He see a tall white officer came and just kicked him in the face. He don't remember nothing after this, so I'm guessing he went on the conscious. I wanted people to just see it. Ain't no way you can explain what I seen in my son. Wasn't no way you can explain it. I'm lucky to have Ulysses alive because a lot of mothers don't have their son. My son was murdered. He was murdered. He was murdered. 
you go through the steps of grief, but you have to turn your pain into purpose. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Thank you for celebrating the Oscar Grant legacy with me. It's going to take you to go to that police station and tell them they need to find out who killed your child. I can't get him no help that he need way there because I'm afraid one day it's going to get too much for it. I lifted my sister Angela to you in the name of Jesus. This is a sorority that we didn't pledge for. Whenever we get together, we can list the opportunity for us to empower, inspire, and uplift one another. Let it out. Oh, that so feels good. It helps being connected with other mothers. That's good. I'm available. You guys can call me. I'm sorry for what happened to your son. Yeah, I'm sorry to happen to your son, too. I'm not used to speaking in front of people, and I was trying to wonder if you had any advice. You might give up on my son, but I'm not going to give up on my That's son right. at right. all. I'm telling you, get to make this thing big. Don't let it die. She took it upon herself and that's what these black mothers are doing. They understand that the battle is theirs. To hear that the Trump Police Department been hiding footage is dead wrong. And I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. Undeterred by a global pandemic, an anticipated crowd of 70,000 marched on Washington on Friday. Black lives matter, and we won't stop until it matters to everybody. I'm here because enough is enough. How many more have to die? We can change some of the laws that are before us if we band together. One day I'm going to be up there. Deborah, Reverend Wanda, thank you so much for being here with us, and thank you for this film. Uh, let's start with you, Deborah. Let's start with you know how this film came to be. I think for me as a viewer, it hit different to hear from Black mothers and to understand the issue of police brutality and how it affects the Black community. Um, it's different when you're listening to Black mothers and their lived experiences, and it's a different set of truths. And so wanted to hear, you know, kind of how the film came to be and why the focus on Black mothers. Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's this project actually started as a short film, right? Um, it was 2017 and I was working uh, at the Center for Investigative Reporting, which is a Bay Area news organization. And I was a video journalist for a show. Um, we had a series called The Aftermath. And the idea was each episode would would go and tell, you know, revisit a big story that was once a news headline. And then we moved on and we didn't get much update, many updates about it. Um, we even uh, we got a, um, a Gracie Award for that series. And one of the segments that I really wanted to go back to and tell the aftermath story on was the case of Oscar Grant. Right. And um, so the first thing that I did was I called um, Wanda Johnson, you know, I went to the Oscar Grant Foundation website and I found her contact information and I told her I wanted to do an aftermath story about the case of her son. Um, but at that moment, I was just thinking about, you know, focusing on her personal journey 
uh, and at that moment, she um, she told me that it was February, and she told me over the phone, "This is the month of Oscar Grant's birthday, and I organize every year." Um, uh, a gathering of moms, uh, which she can tell you more about, but basically, so she calls that gathering uh, the Oscar Grant Legacy Weekend. And uh, as she explained to me over the phone, she would gather mothers from all around the country, mothers, other mothers of victims of police brutality. And, um, and, and she, uh, you know, she let me come and film that weekend and I remember, you know, I showed up with two cameras and I was really expecting, you know, it's going to be a very difficult weekend emotionally because I'm going to hear about all those stories. Uh, but what unfolded in front of my camera lens was something very powerful, right? Just to seeing that community of mothers helping one another and nurturing one another, one that was mentoring them and they were exchanging resources and strategies, you know, and I just thought that that was a very inspiring story that I had not seen in the media yet. And just having the moms, you know, being there, being the voice of their children. Um, so I just left and I knew that uh, there should be a larger story, you know, to cover about that. And that's how, you know, Black Mothers Love and Resist uh, came about. Reverend Wanda, when Deborah first contacted you. Um, what was your first reaction, and, and what did, as you got involved with the project, what were you hoping would come out of it? Well, I just I really didn't know at the time when she first got involved with me. Um, I just thought that she would be following me and just getting some footage and maybe do some kind of article with it. Um, I had no idea that um, a documentary would be formed. Um, she had told me that she was putting it together and working on it, but I had no idea a documentary was going to be formed. Back to you, uh, Reverend Wanda. First of all, I mean, uh, you know, I, we, it's a feature film and the, the length is what it is. It could, but it could go on and on and on and on. And I, part of that is so traumatic and so sad to know that it can go on and on as uh, we go back in history in this issue of police brutality and black mothers losing their children to police brutality. Um, when, you know, in the film, we meet many other black mothers that you've made it your mission, you know, since losing your son to support other mothers. Talk to us about, you know, how continuing on this work has empowered you and empowered the community to keep on fighting. You know, when Oscar was first killed, I had no idea that uh, we would even form a Legacy Weekend. Um, I had no idea that I would even be calling mothers from all over to come and have this weekend of healing is what it really is. And when I first uh, set up to do one, it was really in a small magnitude. It was very few of us there. And we just cried and laughed and cried and laughed. And I began to think about truly, you know, we have lost something that can never be replaced. And so many mothers go into depression. Uh, the mental health is not good any longer. Um, some 
go do drastic things. And there's some that I know that have lost their child and years later they ended up uh, passing away themselves. And so um, I begin to pray about it and think about how could it be an impact for mothers who have lost their loved ones. So I started, you know, bringing mothers from all over the uh, United States uh, to come for this weekend where they would have a physical therapist there. They would have a psychologist there, um, a psychiatrist. Uh, they would have someone who can do exercise with them, uh, pamper themselves. Someone from essential oils would come and just really encourage the mothers, you know, to continue to propel forward, even in the midst of their loss. Because when you lose, you know, a child, uh, it's very hard to continue to go forward and just continue to go right where you um, left off at. And it's very hard. And so in that, in that, um, we, uh, begin to have families just come. And as the families came, we begin to provide healing and support for them. Deborah, as you, you decided to go from a, a short film to a feature film that, you know, is such a different scale of, of, of effort and everything and lining, you know, distribution and, and production, and all of that, as well as further reaching out to other mothers and, and stories to tell. Um, take us a bit through that and what was involved and was there anyone you wanted to be able to include that you were not able to? Yes. Uh, you know, when I, I, I should say when I left that meeting, I still work, had to work on my short film. So it took a while until the feature film started shaping, right? I didn't even know if I, it was going to be possible for me to continue the feature film, right? Because um, I think the short was published about a year after I first met Wanda. So it was like, you know, a long timeline. Uh, but we published the short and it aired on PBS. And as many filmmakers do, like, they, you know, I use the short as a concept, uh, as a proof of concept to pursue a feature film. And that, that whole thing was like a very, very... <laughs> long process because feature films, you know, require so many more resources as an independent journalist, you have to seek those fundings and to be able to even, you know, continue shooting your film right now. I am in, in this um, environment, in this situation where I don't have a news organization backing me up and I'm, you know, applying for grants and trying to get more support for the project. At that moment, uh, I what I did was what many filmmakers would do. Uh, I didn't know where the story would go, you know, at that moment. So I, I kept showing up to uh, Wanda's meetings, you know. I attended uh, so many Oscar grand vigils that she hosted in name of her son. And I continued to follow the story, even though I didn't know where this was going. Um, uh, fast forward, um, I, I started, I, I heard about this case in Alabama and I traveled to Alabama to meet um, the, uh, Angela Williams, who, who is the second mother that we are profiling. Um, and one thing that actually, to back up a little bit, um, you know, when we published the short film, 
I got so many calls, uh, so many mothers of victims uh, or mothers who lost loved ones for other cows uh, would contact me and really um, ask me if I could put them in touch with Wanda Johnson because we didn't put a phone number for her gathering on the short film. So this happened so often that people would reach out to me. And I remember when I met Angela Williams, the first thing she said, she was like, you know, um, there was a lot of support towards my case when I first uh, exposed what happened to my son in the media. And she said, you know, I really need to connect with Wanda Johnson. And I remember, you know, fast forward several months later, I was filming with Wanda and I told her about Angela Williams. And Wanda told me, my family lives in Alabama and actually they forwarded the case of Angela Williams uh, to me. And if I'm not mistaken, your, your cousin Wanda had attended a rally for Angela. Right? That is correct, my cousin, yes. Yes. And, and, and then I told her about this, and Wanda was very generous, you know, about it, connecting with her. And I remember, uh, you know, time passed. One day I was uh, traveling again to Alabama uh, to film an, an update on Angela's story, and she was basically organizing a commun- uh, community members to discuss uh, the outcome of a grand jury that there was no indictment to the police officers uh, who did, you know, who beat her son. And she told me, well, uh, and Wanda is actually, you know, I've been communicating with her and she is actually calling one of my meetings. And at that moment, I just thought that I couldn't, you know, I should, I should document that moment as well. And that's how, uh, you know, the documentary started to evolve, evolve from there, you know, just like focusing on those two cases. But I should say it was very challenging, uh, you know, that, in the span of five years, there were so many cases happening. And when you are covering those stories, there is an urge, like people would call me, oh, you should cover this case. Stephen Clark happened. E.J. Bradford happened in Alabama. You should cover. It's really, uh, for me, I had just to make a decision. I want to stay with those two stories because uh, the intention of my film is to stay with these families on their day-to-day lives to cover their day-to-day challenge. So I was really seeking that intimacy, you know, and not trying to cover everything. To your point, Deborah, I'm, uh, you know, as the person watching this, I think that one of the striking narratives is the fact that, you know, Black mothers have this horrible tragedy as something in common. And, you know, for someone like myself, it's like, this should not be a commonality. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, something that brings folks together for. And so Reverend Wanda, if you could also share your thoughts uh, to, you know, Deborah's point in, in meeting so many other mothers who want to share their stories. Uh, yes, in itself, that is trauma it's it's sad but there's a sense of urgency for we have to tell these stories and and you're you know you're absolutely right um you think about when um mimi till when she emmett till when he was killed how she no longer she was going to let the world know what happened to her son and 
for years it has been a silence in the land with uh, African-American or Black young men uh, being uh, amplified that they have lost their lives. And so one of the things that really, you know, struck me is that, you know, the, the, the media often demonizes this child and it makes uh, society think that that child, oh, got what he deserves or is, uh, shouldn't be here in the first place. And so I had to come to grips to say, you know what, that was my child or that was their child, and that child deserved to live, did not deserve to be killed the way that they were killed. And so uh, uh, we had to change the narrative. We had to let our society know that this is still happening, and we have to bring awareness to it, and we have to come to the fact that all lives are important, that there's not a person who's living on this earth that cannot be redeemed, right? And so uh, I always tell mothers, no matter what a society is saying about your child, God allowed you to birth that child for whatever reason, and you're going to be the only voice for that child. And no matter what anyone says, you have to be that voice that will raise awareness and consciousness concerning your child. And so I, I continue to share that with mothers because they sometimes feel in a hopeless situation because of what happens with their child and then what the world is saying about their child their child. And I always say, don't listen to what the world was saying, because only you know that child the way that you know that child. And if you don't speak up for that child, no one else will. And so that's why I had to do that for Oscar, along with my family being right there supportive doing it uh, and yelling, you know, letting people know that Oscar's life was valuable. We tell other families that your child's life is valuable and your child didn't deserve to die that way. And so you have to be the one to speak up and out for your child. And Deborah, I wanted to bring this up exactly what Reverend Wando was saying. You know, the film also gives you a chance to look at this, not from the perspective of it being cases or a situation where, you know, if a video is shared online, you get to contribute your unwanted opinion, whether wanted or not, but you understand what I'm saying, you know, the, the racists come out or people who don't know all the facts come out and add their two cents online. But what this film does is listen, it listens and it believes black mothers. There's a, there's a scene in which Angela, she's talking about, you know, they're, they're listening to some audio that was submitted to the court with regards to her son's um, situation but she says, you know, why can't the grand jury or the juvenile court even, why can't they hear what I hear? And that was so profound for me because I feel like that, that, is, that is a big problem that society, that our communities have, is that we are not listening to Black mothers. Talk to us about how this film listens to Black mothers. 
I'm very passionate about this question because, yeah, it's such an important point, right? As journalists, I know that whenever this type of case happened, um, the police narrative, the police shapes their narrative narrative on the news, right? They have such power. Um, from spending so much time with uh, Angela and Wanda, I just learned there was so much more to their stories that we don't learn because, you know, they... Uh, you know, we see them on the media. We see mothers on the media. We know they exist, but we see them, but we don't hear them. And I wanted the film to be with them and hear them. I wanted the film to be, uh, to tell their stories from their perspectives, right? And and I think this is so important. Um, and I think this goes back to why I made this film, right? I made this film because I felt that even though I, we know who are the mothers of the movement, uh, but there is so there is a gap in reporting uh, that shows the everyday challenge that these mothers have to face, right? In the film, you get a glimpse of the work that Wanda had to go through to um, have, uh, you know, the BART board uh, recognize and acknowledge, um, you know, what happened to Oscar Grant and make a memorial for him. You know, in the film, you learn, as you mentioned, um, you know, Angela Williams talking about the grand jury, which, by the way, was formed by majority of white um, members, right? And she, it, so I wanted this to be her perspective because so often we hear the police perspective in the media, right? So I wanted the film to really fill this gap. So this, the, the film is kind of getting out there in some previews and, and festivals. Are you, what sort of feedback are you getting from, I assume there are some police officers or police organizations who are seeing it. Is it hostile or are they reaching out and saying, yeah, this is, a problem? I mean, what, what, where's that feedback, if you're getting any at all? Yeah, I, I think it's too early to tell because, uh, you know, next week will be our world premiere. This is the first time we are showing the film. Uh, but I also want to emphasize that, you know, throughout the filmmaking process, and even though this is a film uh, that, you know, value or, or highlights the mother's perspective, uh, we still had a team of journalists reaching out to the police officers who are mentioned in the film, you know, who are referenced to in the film. We still had to do our due diligence as journalists, right? We, it's been four years now since, um, you know, the son of Angela Williams, Ulysses Wilkerson, was brutally beaten by uh, officers of Troy Police in Alabama. And it's been four years that we are pressing for as journalists, right? She's pressuring, you know, the police as a family to to have it released to the public. But also as journalists, we have been, you know, contacting the police department and authorities in Alabama to try to get our hands on that video as media members. And we've, you know, we received re rejection after rejection. There was no comment. Um, so, um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that even though this is about, you know, to emphasize the voice of moms, but we, are, we, we try to get, you know, their perspective in the case, but there was a no response from them. Reverend Wanda, it's been 13 years, a little over 13 years since we lost Oscar. Um, and uh, about 12 years, right, since you founded the Oscar Grant Foundation. 
And so throughout the entire time, I believe the case is it, there's something. Actually, I'll be honest. I don't know what the update is on the Oscar Grant case. Could you give us an update? I'm sure. Uh, actually, uh, Officer Peroni at the time, who really instigated the whole situation that propelled to my son being killed and losing his life, uh, we had originally requested that they file charges against him. And they uh, said that they would file charges after the trial. Um, and they did not want to file charges before the trial because they wanted to use him as a witness. Well, he ended up turning into a hostile witness and the information that they wanted to get from him, uh, the district attorneys could not get it. And so we have been uh, rallying and uh, asking the district attorney to do her job, and that is to file charges against uh, Peroni for what happened with my son. And so the district attorney uh, had said that um, she wasn't going to file charges. Um, and so the attorney general, attorney uh, Rob Bonta, is looking into the case to see if there is some kind of charges that could be filed. Now, we realized that many of the charges that could have been filed at the very beginning since they weren't. Some of them have gone through the statute of limitations. But we're, what we're trying to get charged is that he be charged, uh, actually, along with uh, what Mesley was charged with, the murder of my son, and um, allow him to uh, go to court just like uh, Mesley and have his day in court. That's all we're asking is that the system would work fairly, you know, uh, and give us that opportunity. Because if it would have been a flip side, we know that Oscar, he would have been charged and his friends would have been charged. Everyone else with him would have been in charge and in jail. And so that's all we're saying is that the way the system is set up, it should operate equally for all. And we know that it's not doing that. And so we're looking, uh, Attorney Rob Bata, he's looking into it now to make a determination um, on if uh, Peroni is going to be charged. And I want to stay with you, uh, Reverend Wanda. Um, could you talk about the founding of the Oscar Grant Foundation and, and how the idea came about and how the, the kind of scope of its work developed and, and what you do there sure um so we were the you, the court was the the trial was moved to la and from that there was many of the community members who had uh, came to la to support and we were treated uh very uh rudely and unfairly uh during the trial uh the uh, people, my family members, we all had to wait outside to get a lottery ticket. And if your number wasn't called, you couldn't even go into the courtroom. Uh, the judge was like, we're going to have these uh, protesters. If you don't get them out of here, we're going to have this case last for five years. Uh, there was a number of the, even the way the district attorney, they didn't even want them in there, uh, in a room to review their material. Uh, it was you know, not just just the whole case, uh, the the way that the whole 
uh, policing system started to act towards not just my family, but even the district attorney at that time, um, David Stein. And so um, we uh, had uh, um, everyone come together at the end um, and we had several meetings and we was having a young lady who was going to help us form the foundation at that time. And so she started the paperwork on it uh, and she didn't complete the paperwork. So my brother completed the paperwork and he started uh, working with the foundation, him and I, and uh, he began to uh, lead it to help me to continue to heal. And so we've uh, been in force for since then. Uh, this year, our goal is to uh, offer students. We have our application online to offer students uh, uh, to sign up for a scholarship. Uh, we're giving $30,000 out in scholarships uh, funds this year. Um, we do a uh, backpack school giveaway where we adopt a school and find out how many students are in that school, and we supply backpacks and school supplies for them. Uh, we uh, founded a AAU basketball team where we have now three basketball teams from students in the Bay Area. Uh, we go to AAU different uh, tournaments and there uh, have an opportunity to win. This year, our goal, one of the, the, one of the teams have already went to uh, Texas A&M to get a tour uh, because we want to really work with our youth to let them know that uh, it's important to try to bridge that gap, to let them know that they're important in this society and whatever tools we can give to them to help them become successful, uh, we will provide those tools. Uh, we have several who have graduated and are in the process of graduating who have went to uh, really good schools, Darton School, uh, we have others who went to UC Berkeley. Um, and so we're really excited that we can help our youth because they are our tomorrow. And if we don't start investing in them, um, instead of the way the society is set up, being able to tell if the youth is gonna go to prison or gonna go to college in the third grade, if we don't provide ways to invest more in our youth instead of building prison systems, then we've done, we've become a failure ourselves as parents and as a next generation of people. And so um, that's our goal. Oscar loved people. He loved to help people. Um, in the movie Fruitvale Station, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen that, but there's a scene of a lady who, uh, didn't know how to purchase fish. Well, Oscar called home. He spoke to my mom and uh, he was asking, Grandma, I have a lady on the line. He's at work and she needs to know how to cook fish. And my mom is giving her instructions on how to cook that fish, you know? So those things are real. You know, people uh, was important to Oscar. He loved to help people. And so what better way to have a foundation that can turn around and help those who are in need. And so, you know, families who have lost their loved ones, you know, we offer a life after loss session where they could get on and they are encouraged 
And if they need to see a psychiatrist, you know, we're able to say, call that psychiatrist, set up that appointment and pay for a few sessions for them, you know, and, and all that, you, we all know that all that takes finances. So of course, if, you know, anyone wanted to donate to the Oscar Grant Foundation, they could do that. You know, we definitely want to continue to help and make an impact in our society. And how do we do that? By helping our youth today, because in reality, they're going to be our tomorrow. And if we don't invest in them now, the prison systems will invest in them. The jail systems will invest in them. And we definitely don't want that. We want our youth to be become leaders in our society. Thank you for that. And I know uh, you can follow the foundation on Twitter at Oscar Grant for Life, the numeral four, Oscar Grant for Life. And is there a website as well? Yes, it is OscarGrantFoundation.org. Great, thank you. Michelle? Sure. Deborah, we, uh, I don't want to give away too many, you know, I don't want to give away the film. It's really hard because I, again, thank you so much for the film and um, it's informative, but it also, like I said, gives you a very important insight to this issue if you're passionate about you know, breaking or, or fighting against racism and uh, calling for equity. Uh, but the mothers come together and they do share ideas of what they think are solutions to this epidemic of police violence and the black community. And a couple of, uh, of, a couple of them say, you know, the whole system needs to be torn down and rebuilt. What is the takeaway from this film, you feel? What do you want the audience to take away? Is it everything? Is it about you know, listening to, to Black mothers, to the real solutions, to, yeah, tell us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, there is an author, uh, her name is Adrienne Mary Brown, Marie Brown, and she says that those closest to the problem are closest to the solutions. And I feel like this is one of the takeaways, right? Uh, women like Wanda have been in this journey, you know, in the aftermath of a, such a terrible incident. But she is paying forward the lessons that she learned as she nav navigated uh, this very difficult uh, uh, justice system, right? And now she's 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 paying forward and passing those lessons to other mothers and. You know, just follow by following her on these five years and just seeing her mentoring other moms and saying, you know, if you want this to happen, you have to do. She's giving them a blueprint for justice. Right. Um, and I, th I think this is so powerful. Uh, we like to think normally we think that police brutality is an uh, um, unsolvable problem and an intractable problem. But by watching Wanda, I, I have hope, you know, by seeing what she's doing, her work with these mothers. Um, so I, I think one of the takeaways, I want that, you know, by sharing uh, Wanda's story of resilience, resourcefulness, and also the victories that you see, you know, when you watch the film, I hope this, this film will really inspire audiences uh, around the country and offer them a model of uh, a blueprint, a model for justice, because a lot of the tools that she teaches other moms can be transferable, you know, to other communities who are also fighting oppressive systems. Um, but <laughs> I hope it's okay. But, you know, the other, there, there are a couple other takeaways. 
um, you know, that um, I really want uh, the audience to um, uh, uh, to take out when they with them when they watch this film. Um, Throughout the filmmaking process, I was reading a book by a brilliant author. Um, her name is Danny McLean. She, she's a journalist and also a black mother. And she wrote this book called uh, the Polit- uh, We Live for the We, The Polit- Political Power of Black Motherhood. And the idea of the, her book is that black mothers have been serving our communities. They have been engaged in the system that of uh, you know mothering uh, mothering other moms and mothering our communities, uh, but their work historically is overlooked, is undervalued, and in general, black women's work are often forget forgotten from history. Right, their contributions. Uh, so I think with my film, I'm also trying to fill this gap. Is is showing uh, making their labor and and their contributions to our society visible. Let's talk about this women let's support them right and uh so i think this is very important as another a less goal not less i have so many goals but i also want to this film to call to the attention for the need of self-care especially for black women right uh in the film you see how activism work takes a toll on people you see through the story of wanda and angela how activism takes a toll on their lives it's hard work it affects your health and um you know audrey lord once said that caring for myself is not self-indulgence it's uh self-preservation and is an act of political warfare she reminds us that uh self-care is revolutionary uh so i really want to call um, you know, audience to start this conversation about the need for self-care. And this is something that Wanda knows really well because by following her, I know that this was one of her messages to other mothers that she was mentoring. Wanda, tell us how you became a mentor. I mean, obviously other mothers have, have gone through this horrible tragedy. How did you put yourself in a position or feel called to be of assistance to other mothers and and what specifically do you do you hope what do you hear them asking for most a lot of you know when people when you lose a loved one uh, uh, a lot of times we as people try to go with the solution to that problem and you can't fix it a lot of times what i've learned is that we have to be, learn how to be good listeners we don't always have to have a answer for the question or for the statement said, but we have to learn how to be good listeners. And so when Michael Brown was killed, uh, his mother, Leslie, was in a state of shock, like myself. She was in a a state of unbelief. She was in a state of, what do I do? not knowing what to do. And oftentimes the community wants to throw you out there as an advocate or a person who's yelling and all this stuff. But the bottom line is she was Michael's mother. So my words to her, because she didn't know what to do. And I have been through the process of losing my son. Um, And so, I went to her 
And the same thing I said to Trayvon Martin's mother. You're the mother. That was your child. No one can take those memories away from you. And no one can change how you feel about your child. And so you're the voice that your child has. And if you want someone to know something about your child, you're going to have to be the voice that shares that very thing. And I share with them how in our society, the there was negativeness around all of our children. And our society feels different when they hear the negative versus the positive. So I begin to pray with Leslie and share with her, you have to change that narrative by sharing who your child was or is. And you have to change that narrative by standing up and saying, it doesn't matter whatever happened, my child did not deserve to die. And so I knew that I needed to do that for mothers because you feel helpless. You don't know what to do, right? And being able to encourage them to fight for their children uh, helped me to also get stronger. It helped me to begin to turn that so great a pain that I was feeling into a purpose, right? I, you know, I have, I was a minister before Oscar was killed. And so I have believed that the Lord showed me that Oscar and I would be in ministry together. And when Oscar was killed, I was like, well, God, you said we would be in ministry together. How are we in ministry together? And the Lord began to tell me to look around. He began to show me that many of the faces that I'm seeing is because of what happened with Oscar. And so we're not in the Orthodox ministry that I thought we would be in, but in a sense, we really still are in ministry together because I'm meeting everyone on this session today because of what happened with Oscar in a sense, even though it's a movie, a documentary that um, Deborah made, but if Oscar had not been killed, I probably wouldn't be a part of the documentary. And so I always share with mothers that you have to take care of yourself and be that voice for your child. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't be that voice because you won't be able to say anything. And so with Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, and with um, Leslie McBath, or Leslie, I'm sorry, Leslie, uh, Leslie Heed or McSpadden, uh, I was able to share those things with them. And we've been able to come together and cry together, laugh together, support one another together, be on panels together. And we will continue to do that because we don't want other mothers to have to join what we're in that we didn't want to be in. And so we continue to advocate in each of our states for our children, children, and for our neighbors' children, because our children are not here 
but there's other children that we can shed light on and help so that it doesn't happen to other families. Thank you so much for that, Reverend Wanda, and all your work. And And with that being said, and everything that you had just said, turn the question back to Deborah, asked you before uh, what your takeaways are, what you want people to take away from the film. Um, but who do you think this film is for? You know, like, who needs to see this film? I think, of course, I want this film to be seen uh, by as many people as possible. But I feel like, um, as a mother myself, I feel like I made this film uh, to other mothers, you know, to, so they, they can be seeing, they can see that we, we are seeing their challenge on, on the big screen, that we are seeing uh, their work being acknowledged. So I think first and foremost, this is a film for other mothers, for the mothers of the movement, right? I feel like uh, whenever I was going out on a shoot, I was like thinking, I'm making this film for Wanda, right? I, I want her to be proud of this film. This has been in my mind for this five years. And, um, and of course, and I think everybody can uh, really... Um, you know, benefit from knowing, um, you know, this mother's challenge and, and what they have been doing, what, what are their, their contributions. I remember that, you know, in 2020, uh, what we call the uprising, you know, when George Floyd was killed for the first time, like we see that everybody's on the same page that all of a sudden about the, the problem of police brutality now, right? Now everybody's seeing, um, you know, this family's pain. Everybody's seeing that we need to make change, right? But at that point, I, I was thinking it's been like, you know, we've been living with this problem for such a long time, right? Why now we are, we are, we are talking about this? Why only now this is relevant? So I think when people watch this film, I, I, I really want them to learn about all this challenge that families have to face. There's a whole community, it, each case of police brutality leaves a whole community destroyed, traumatized, right? We need to learn, not only learn about this problem, but do something about it. Everybody is responsible for this problem. And so I really want as many people to see this. You mentioned the George Floyd uh, killing and, and the resulting protests and attention. I want to ask each of you the same question. I'll just start with you, Deborah. Do you think we're in a better place, closer to, to getting corrections, changes, helpful, or whatever, as a result of all this, the uprising and the, the protests and, and the focus, or are we as far apart or even farther than before? I mean, are you optimistic or pessimistic, I guess? That's a very difficult question because... You know, if you look back in history, there were other moments of, you know, the civil rights movement. And then you would think that by now everything is resolved, but it's not. But on the other hand, it's also baby steps, right? I feel like progress is being made. Um, and I just hope that we keep having these conversations going, not only when another case, you know, happens that we are going to have these conversations. So I think bottom line is I have to be hopeful. You know, I have a, I have a child. I need to be hopeful. And, um, and I want to be hopeful. Um, sorry, this is kind of vague, but it's such a difficult question, right? Because progress has been made, but we are so far from being where we want to be. 
But I would love I to hear Wanda's thought, thoughts on this. You know, I often think about Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. I think about how he had that dream and where his children would be able to hold hands with other nationalities of people. And I think about how that became a reality. And so I want to say that we have come some ways, but yet we still have a ways to go. And having a documentary like this can show people the real the real life uh, things that we go through and how we have to pick up the pieces and continue. And so I want to say that we have come some ways. Uh, I think about uh, AB 392 being passed. Um, I think about um, the other uh, laws that are being passed uh, for records, um, for, you know, just different laws that we're working to get changed um, and that we have to continue to fight that way. But one of the things that I really notice is that more eyes are being opened from what happened with George Floyd. Uh, it didn't matter what color you were or what color, yeah, at that time, what color you were, you saw something being done to someone that was not humane. You heard someone saying, you know, that they couldn't breathe. You heard an uh, audience of people trying to get the officer to change his tactic or measure of uh, brutality or measure of apprehending him a different way. And all of that we saw for those nine minutes or how many ever minutes. And so people from that and other killings are seeing and responding and thinking differently when it comes to policing. And so because of that, I believe that we have changed some and that we still have um, a ways to go. And with us having the allies and the accomplices, which Tamika Mallory wrote a book, talked about allies and accomplices in, having people standing up for what is right can continue and cause us to propel even forward in our quest for equal opportunity and equally treated by all and for all. And that no one is exclusive, but we're all inclusive at the tables. And so, yes, to answer, I do think there has been some change, but I also think that there is a lot more change that can occur. But it, And it's going to take all of us on this session and everyone listening to step up and come together collectively and work to change our laws and the systemic things that our society has faced in the ugly face of racism. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, I want to go back to AB 392. So California, the California law does permit law enforcement to use deadly force um, if the person is fleeing and or resisting arrest. But AB 392 would change that. Tell us how. It has to be reasonable. So if a person in a so if a person is fleeing from you, right, that is not a threat to the officer. Um, and so to shoot that person in the back, right, uh, is really not warranted. It's not necessary. Um, and so it would uh, no longer permit those things to occur. And so we're saying that we have to come up with a way besides the uh, wording that we've heard over the years, I fear for my life. Uh, the person was resisting arrest. The person was going for his waist. Uh, we have to come up with, those can no longer be used to kill someone, right? It has to be, if you're having deadly force against you, or if, if that person is resisting arrest, we got to figure out what do you mean resistant arrest? Is running resistant arrest? Of course not. You know, and, well, you may say it is, but of course not. It's not causing the officer to have to dictate and shoot and kill the person. And so we're, we're AB 392 saying you can't do that. It has to be, uh, no longer can you say, uh, you're, that person wants to resist an arrest. It has to be proven. And that's what we're saying. Because so many lives are being lost because the person uh, is laying on the platform as Oscar's case. The officer said he was resisting arrest at first. Because if you go back and listen to the beginning of my son's case, you'll see that they had to change the narrative uh, four times, four times before they finally came up with the taser gun confusion. The first was he was resisting. The second was they thought he had a gun. The third was that he had his hands in the front of him. And then the fourth was the taser gun confusion. So we have to come up with a way that those excuses are no longer acceptable. And by all means, no one is saying that, at least I'm not saying that we don't need police. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we hire police to do their job and to do it fairly and to do it rightly. And if they're not going to do it that way, then we need to come up with a way where when these police are hired, that they're interviewed and they're trained correctly the way that they need to be trained to avoid these type of situations or uh, from occurring. As, as we're nearing the end of our, our talk here today, um, Reverend Wanda, tell us what's next for you and your work and as well, you and the foundation. So we are actually working again on uh, really writing out this blueprint so that other families can go uh, to, can utilize the blueprint and then 
we go to them like we've been doing and work with them to get it established and help them establish their foundations, help them establish uh, how to walk the blueprint out. Um, we're looking to, you know, our, our end goal for our youth is to be able to, you know, have some youth and we pay their full tuition ride in school. Um, our, our goal, um, we've already are certified to go into these police stations, show them different clips and work with them on training of de-escalation. Um, and show them the clips, have mothers. You know, this documentary uh, could be a great tool to use when we walk into the police. We wanna show you a clip. We wanna show you this young man who was brutally beat up by the police. We wanna show you the clip of Oscar being killed by the police. Now, how could we avoid those things? So we want to begin to have people think thought-provoking conversations that will cause us to react differently when police encounters occur. Uh, that will cause us to act differently in our communities. And so we are really working on that and, you know, hopefully to get it complete sometime this year where we're able to really um, offer it to families all over the globe. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, same question for you, Deborah. I mean, I know what, what happens next after a world premiere, the world premiere, by the way, reminder is next Friday, it's April 29th and uh, during the San Francisco film festival. And so get your tickets while you can. Um, Deborah. Yes. Well, yes, the screening next week, our premiere, uh, I feel like it's the completion of our production process, right? But it's the beginning of a new journey of distribution now, right? Uh, my team and I, we have submitted the film to film festivals all around the country. We've got invitations for a few of them, and we are waiting to hear what is next for us. But basically, we go into the festival circuit until we find the distribution for the film. And... Um, also, uh, right after the premiere, we are launching our impact campaign. As you, you might know, that films that, uh, you know, expose or, or, or uh, social issues like this, this one, uh, we want to make sure that the, the film is being used uh, as a, a tool by communities and part, partly uh, of what uh, Reverend Wanda Johnson already said, we want to bring the film to other communities as a part of our impact campaign and make sure that, you know, the film is making the impact that we intended it to make. Yeah. I'm sure it will. I know that it has already impacted me just the hour and a half that I spent watching it. So thank you so much for this film, Black Mothers Love and Resist. Like I mentioned, the world premiere is happening next Friday. So the only way you could see it next Friday is if you attend the San Francisco Film Festival. Hopefully distribution happens after that. I want to thank our speakers for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much, Deborah, Souza, Silva, and also Reverend Wanda Johnson. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you both. As well as thank you to all of the folks who are listening and watching online. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org. Stay safe and have a good weekend.